0: a rock and roll love triangle. I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town.
1: Today, we're going back to the 60s, not to profile a musician or a product or even a cult. No, today we're talking about a cultural trailblazer who would change the course of music history by way of inspiration, support, and a twisted love triangle called, quote, one of the most mythical romantic entanglements in rock and roll history. Intriguing, right? Welcome to the life of Patty Boyd, a life as dark as it is memorable. On March 17th, 1944, Patricia Ann Boyd was born in Taunton, Somerset, to Colin and Diana Boyd. Due to her father's job in the Royal Air Force, the family moved from place to place, settling eventually in Nairobi. During these moves, Colin, Jenny, and Paula were born, and Patty became the leader of a growing pack of siblings. From the age of eight, Boyd also went to boarding school in Kenya. During a school break, she returned home thinking everything would be normal, just a regular break, but was shocked to learn that her parents had divorced. In December 1953, Patty and her siblings moved back to England with her mother and her mother's new husband, Bobby Gamer Jones. In England, Patty also attended boarding school, graduating in 1961. It was then, at the age of 17, that her mother found her a job as a junior beautician at Elizabeth Arden's Bond Street Salon, after Patty realized she really only had two paths in her life—get a job or get married. Quote, We were brought up to marry well and that would be it, she says of her years in Catholic boarding school— I knew that I didn't want to get married. My mother was married twice and it didn't work. I was just so determined to get out of this environment where my mother and my stepfather were splitting up and I had five brothers and sisters who, whatever I did, would also follow me. I thought, I must get out. I must try and be independent. So I got a job and I shared a flat with about five other girls. At Elizabeth Arden's salon, Patty began honing her own look, one that would charm magazine buyers and rock stars alike. I remember looking at Vogue for the very first time and was astonished at the beauty and the glamour. I wanted to be Jean Shrimpton, she said. All of the girls my age during that period influenced each other in a very subtle way, and we all had our own individuality. So it was a mishmash of personalities. Jean Shrimpton, of course, is widely considered to be the world's first supermodel, who blew up in the pages of Elle, Vogue, and Vanity Fair about a year or so before Boyd and popularize the fashion movements that are bangs, the miniskirt, and that popular, but of course problematic, waif look. In 1962, at age 18, a client who worked for Honey Magazine took notice of Patty's mod, somewhat DIY, girl-next-door aesthetic, and encouraged her to take pictures for a portfolio. Once she started, Patty's modeling really took off, and she began booking in London, Paris, and all over the world, for Vogue, Vanity Fair, and Elle, to name a few. Patty and her model contemporaries had looks that were antithetical to the archetypes that characterized women's fashion in the early and mid-1900s. You either looked like a film star or somebody's mom. They were girlish, playful, smiling, embracing fashion that felt fun and accessible. Since there were typically no makeup artists at the magazine shoots, models at the time did their own makeup, using minimalist painters and dramatic, colorful lines and shapes as inspiration. And soon, along with the photos themselves, the model's own makeup became a statement. Fashion designer Mary Quant noted that women would rather, quote, look like Patti Boyd rather than Marlene Dietrich. Their aim is to look childishly young, naively unsophisticated, and it takes more sophistication to work out that look than those early would-be sophisticates ever dreamed of. Working with some of the greatest photographers of the 20th century, including David Bailey, Terence Donovan, Norman Parkinson, David Hearn, and Robert Whitaker, Patty, her idol Jean Shrimpton, and her protege, Twiggy, became international celebrities and the embodiment of the British female look, quote, miniskirt, long, straight hair, and wide-eyed loveliness. Truly, Patty was the new face of London's swinging 60s. During her rise to modeling superstardom, 19-year-old Boyd was in a relationship and then engaged to up-and-coming photographer Eric Swain. But on March 2, 1964, two weeks away from her 20th birthday, Patty met someone who would change her life forever a famous pop musician named George Harrison. Patty had been cast in the Beatles movie A Hard Day's Night, with one line. The line was, prisoners. Quote, My agent phoned up and said, Patty, you've just got a part in the Beatles film. Don't tell anyone. Well, this is so exciting. How can I not tell anyone? She remembers gleefully. I told my boyfriend, who was a photographer, and he said, I bet you fall for Paul McCartney. Despite such a small part, the near 20-year-old Boyd and 21-year-old Harrison connected big time. In fact, George Harrison proposed marriage mere moments after they met on set. When a stunned Boyd failed to reply, the guitarist dialed it back. He said, quote, if you won't marry me, will you at least have dinner with me? Quote, he was incredibly good looking, very, very attractive. But also he was, he seemed quite shy. And me being rather shy, I sort of felt an affinity with him. Still, when Harrison asked Patty out in that moment, she declined. After all, she was already in a relationship. But their connection must have been undeniable, because several days later, Patty broke it off with Swain and accompanied Harrison to a private gentleman's club called the Garrett Club, chaperoned by Beatles' own manager, Brian Epstein. After that, the courtship between Patty Boyd and George Harrison was a much-publicized whirlwind, and made Boyd's demand as a model go through the roof. In July 1964, Harrison bought a bungalow in the English countryside for the two of them, and they quickly moved in together. And of course, you can't date a beetle in the mid 60s without encountering some LSD. In early 1965, Patty and George were invited to a dinner party with John and Cynthia Lennon at the home of their dentist, John Riley. When, as everyone was getting up to go home after the meal, Riley told them that, surprise, he had spiked their drinks with LSD and tried to persuade them to stay. Outside Riley's home, Boyd was feeling the LSD, and was about to break a storefront window when Harrison pulled her away. But the night wasn't over yet. After being dosed, the group drove to get a nightcap at a popular nightclub called the AdLib Club. But as they neared, they were all shocked by the sight before them. The nightclub was on fire, and immediately they turned the car around. Of course, it wasn't. The fire was just an LSD-fueled hallucination after a long night of drugs and socializing. Despite that, however, the relationship was going well between George and Patty, even though it's clear to me that Epstein had a huge hold on the Beatles' romantic choices. Patty said in a later interview, quote, One day he said, I think we should really get married. I'm going to go speak to Brian. And then he came back, gave me a big kiss, and said, Brian says we can get married in January. Though it's probably not a surprise, to me that quote speaks volumes for the age of everyone involved and the culture of the massively successful band. The couple was engaged on Christmas of 1965 and didn't waste any time, marrying, as Epstein wanted, on January 21st, 1966, with Paul McCartney as the couple's best man. Though Boyd later told Beatles biographer Hunter Davies that the four Beatles had a bond that neither she nor any of the wives could penetrate, in a How a Beatle Lives profile published in March of 1966, Harrison stressed the happiness, closeness, and equality of their marriage— and credited Boyd with broadening his ideological outlook. UK underground writer Barry Miles later described Boyd as, quote, by far the most glamorous of all the Beatles' wives and girlfriends. Not that it's a contest, of course. Author Sean Levy writes that, even more so than Jane Asher, the English actress who was dating McCartney at the time, Boyd epitomized what, quote, 60s stardom was meant to confer upon its chosen. Inspired by his wife, George wrote many songs to Boyd, Notably, 1965's I Need You, and of course, the iconic 1969 song, Something, a masterpiece that Frank Sinatra described as, quote, the greatest love song of the past 50 years. Rarely had Harrison been so eloquent when articulating his deepest feelings for his wife. Quote, George said, here's a song I've written for you, but we haven't quite finished it. She continues, so I heard it in its raw state. It was just stunning. I thought... Oh gosh, this is really totally overwhelming. After the Beatles' final concert tour, the two spent six weeks in India learning yoga, transcendental meditation, sitar, and the Dilruba, another Indian string instrument, while also adopting a vegetarian lifestyle. For Harrison, it was a near-obsessive journey with Eastern mysticism, and Patti, a whole new chapter of her life— But don't worry, the two meditated, yes, of course, but also continually partied with their rock star friends, including Mick Jagger, Marianne Faithfull, and Eric Clapton. And that was that. They were happy, and nothing else happened. The end. Of course not.
2: Everything was about to happen. We're going back in after the break. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take
0: Hi, hello. How are you? How are you doing? Hello.
1: What's up? What is up? What's up with you? Yeah. What's What's up with you? You're acting weird. Uh,
0: Are you on drugs?
1: Actually, don't tell me. No, do tell me. Um, You decide. You can say something or not at all. I support you.
0: Yeah, right. And then they tell you (laughs) and you use it against them.
1: No, me? Me? No, no. I'll never do that. Information isn't ammunition to me. (laughs) No.
0: We want to say hello to anyone who's listening, supporting us, spreading the good word of Ghost Town. Thank you. We appreciate thee.
1: Mm -hmm, The? Yeah. Oh. I'm a fancy, fancy man. Fancy boy in the house. Well, we've been in,
0: you know, jolly old, jolly old England. That's true. You felt inspired? Yeah, I feel like being a fancy boy. Oh, nice. Well, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about our parliament or Government,
1: you would be remiss.
0: I would be remiss. <laughs> I would or would not be remiss. I don't know. I just hmm. trying to be fancy. Nice. And talk about our royal mayors. Ooh. This mayor is quite shagalicious.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. This We're is going to be a tough We're
0: one. Back. This is going to be a tough one. I got, no, myself. I got I'm myself. I'm back myself in excited. the corner with this I'm one. I'm excited. I'm going to see if I dig myself mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Quite shagalicious. And message me. I knew I mispronounced his name. I oh, knew I no. did I knew I couldn't get it right. Oh, so no. So sent me a very polite-
1: That's nice.
0: ...adjustment. That would be Matthew Clemens-Laurie.
1: That's a great name.
0: Yeah, one of our newest, hottest mayors. I
1: love it. Welcome.
0: This mayor is groovetastic. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay, this is very British royalty. I love it.
0: A quite groovetastic mayor that I can pronounce the name. That would be- Casey Weber. Hello. This mayor loves to hitchhike, has one thumb out in the road, just looking for some cool, groovy 60s van to roll up and oh, not kidnap. Nice. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Not Actually give a ride. Different time. Different time. It was. Uh,
1: hand-rolled cigarettes, Rolling yeah. Stone, cool glasses.
0: Debbie Kelly Mean. Hello. This mayor is all mod cruising around on a Ooh, vespa little
1: page boy haircut yeah. i like what i see
0: they're just just all dressed up mm-hmm. dapper cruising mm-hmm. around leather boots yeah like little leather booties taking taking the vespa to the tube oh, that's just sensible that'd be emma hopkins hello this mayor is far out whoa on their own trip, man.
1: <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Timothy Leary style. Whoa. Riders on the Storm, Lava Lamp.
0: That'd be Cat Joselle. Hello. This mayor? It's quite funky. Hmm. Too funky? Full of funk. Loves <laughs> funk. All bass, slapping bass, funky bass. <laughs> bass, 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 <laughs> in your face. The one and only Ashley Matson. Hello. And. Our governor, the producer, Mm. produces all the best stuff. When you show up at her production place in the castle that she rents out, good luck. Good luck. You're going to get a great sound.
1: (laughs) A wall of sound. No gunplay. (laughs)
0: You don't know what is going to happen, but you're just like, you know what? It's worth it.
1: Well, because I want that
0: sound. I want to work Ah. with a genius. I don't care if my life is definitely in danger because it's worth it. She's worth it. Mm -hmm. Our governor, Avian Avian Noble. Noble, No ads, no chit-chat bonus episodes. Seven days free. Come hang out. Listen to a bunch. Tons of bonus episodes to listen Mm -hmm. to right now. You can bail after seven days. Do it. You could support us a little more or not. Leave us for dead. Yeah. (laughs) You think we'll know? We're dead. Yeah, we're already dead. We don't know. Mm. We assume. (laughs) Head on over to patreon.com slash ghost town pod.
1: All right. While you're heading over there perusing, why don't we get back to London in the 1960s? So, Patty and George are loving their Eastern influenced lifestyles, partying, meditating, being rich, hot, celebrity, artists. Soon it's 1970, and George is working on music, and Patty opens up a shop with her sister, who is also a successful model. But things begin to erode with the couple. It really began when Beatles manager Brian Epstein suddenly died, forcing the Beatles themselves to stress about the financial affairs of their dissolving band. When the Beatles finally did break up in April of 1970, Harrison became more and more involved in the Hare Krishna movement. That and their inability to conceive put even more stress on the fragile marriage. Patty started modeling again in May of 1970 at the ripe old age of 27 in direct opposition to Harrison's Hare Krishna ideals. Still, she did it, splintering away from Harrison in a profound way. In 1973, she had an affair with Faces guitarist Ronnie Wood, while Harrison romanced Wood's own wife, Chrissy. Infidelities plagued the couple at that point, and Boyd finally decided to leave Harrison in July of 1974, based largely on Harrison's relationship with other women, and culminating in his affair with bandmate and best friend Ringo Starr's wife Maureen, which Patty called the final straw. But before Patty Boyd made the decision to leave her husband, something else had been brewing— Eric Clapton had been a frequent visitor to their home, a close friend of the couple's, and he had developed feelings for Boyd, something that went unspoken for a very long time. One night, Clapton and Harrison had a guitar duel in the couple's kitchen, and Patty was the, quote, prize. Quote, it was John Hurt, the actor, who described it as a duel, Boyd says, and he was so on the button. I sensed it, but I hadn't formulated it. Admittedly, Patty was attracted to Clapton, too, by then a legend in his own right, but was trying to make her marriage work. Boyd said, quote, As a child, I always thought I would do anything to avoid divorce. But through Patty's rejection and simultaneous friendship, Eric Clapton became obsessed with her. He had to have her, and he used his strongest skill to make it happen. Quote, I remember Eric phoning me one morning, saying that they were just back from Miami, where they had been recording, and to come over and hear some of what they had been doing, said Boyd. I went to the flat, his band was renting, and Eric played me Layla. My first thought was, oh my god, this is so emotional and so passionate. But then it dawned on me. I knew it was about me, and I was rather nervous because I thought, if George hears this, I'm sure he'll guess it's for me as well. George and I hadn't split up, and I was trying to hang on to him, but Eric was trying to steer me away. I was torn. In an effort to satisfy his infatuation, Clapton briefly dated Boyd's sister, Paula, but, surprise, that did not work. Clapton's 1970 album with Derek and the Dominoes, Layla and other assorted love songs, was written to proclaim his love for Boyd, which of course featured Layla. The name Layla itself comes from the work of Persian writer Nizami, who wrote of a man driven to madness by an unattainable love named Layla. At this point, Clapton began heavily using heroin to medicate his own obsessiveness and pain, and descended into addiction and exile for three years. So then, fast forward to Patty and George Harrison's divorce in 1974. Quote, He didn't want us to be together. It was a life of rejection, she recalled. But still, she said no to Eric Clapton, until he got clean. As soon as that happened, Clapton went back to pursuing Patty. And, well, it happened. They got together. Patty Boyd and Eric Clapton were married on March 27, 1979, in Tucson, Arizona. They remained close friends with Harrison, who called Eric Clapton his husband-in-law. Healthy, right? The newlyweds loved drinking, and the toxicity quickly escalated between Boyd and Clapton, but so did the music. Along with Layla, Patty was the inspiration for Clapton's love songs, Bell Bottom Blues and Wonderful Tonight. He also wrote Golden Ring for Boyd in response to her sadness at learning of Harrison's marriage to Olivia Arias in 1978, and the 1983 track The Shape You're In about her drinking. Clapton and Boyd then commenced with in vitro fertilization in 1984 and 1987, resulting in three miscarriages. Fed up with Clapton's clear alcoholism and more affairs, something Boyd was deeply and regretfully familiar with, the 43-year-old left Clapton in April of 1987 and divorced him in 1989. In later interviews, she said she suspected Clapton's obsessive pursuit of her, quote, had more to do with the competitive aspect of the two musicians' friendship, and that Eric just wanted what George had. But Patty eventually did find love with property developer Rod Weston. The two got together in 1991, and moving slowly, married 24 years later, in April of 2015, in London. Weston was quoted as saying, It's almost our silver anniversary, so we thought we had better get on with it. In August 2007, a different rivalry played out, this time between Patty Boyd and her ex, Eric Clapton. Headline Review published Boyd's autobiography called Wonderful Tonight, George Harrison, Eric Clapton, and me. The book, Photographs and Stories, was published in direct competition to Clapton's own autobiography, published concurrently. Clapton disagreed with some of the details in her account, but said, quote, "'We each have our different versions of our years together.'" Debuting at the top of the New York Times bestseller list, The Daily Telegraph described Patti Boyd's book as absolutely gripping, and a memoir that gives more insight into the weirdness of rock star life than anything I've ever read.'" In 2022, Boyd published a new book called *Patty Boyd, My Life in Pictures, detailing her photography and giving new insight into her high-profile relationships. Rolling Stone referred to Boyd as a legendary rock muse for her role in inspiring the music of Harrison and Clapton, while Roger Cormier of Mental Floss similarly recognizes her as quote, one of the most important muses in rock and roll history. But muse is just a small tip of the iceberg. Patty Boyd is really a living witness and protagonist of a specific time and place, a place with as much conflict as it has creativity and intrigue. Patty Boyd is the 60s, and her life reads like one of the many songs she inspired captivating, tumultuous, and legendary.